Hey everyone, my name is Maggie Tang. And I'm Elena Cho. Welcome to Gourmand, a show where we share food stories with people who like to eat. Before we dig into our first episode, we wanted to just tell you a little bit about ourselves and what you can expect from the season of Gourmand. We're two students at the University of Pennsylvania who spend pretty much all day, every day, thinking about food. From dreaming up dinner menus or what to name our sourdough starters, which if you have any suggestions, let me know, to obsessing over offset spatulas and exploring the restaurant scene in Philly and beyond. Gourmand is all about the stories behind the self-starters and changemakers responsible for the world's most delicious creations. This is such an important time and this season, the stories of our guests bring with them important conversations about everything from sustainability issues and inequality within the kitchen and beyond to how we can best support an industry that lies at the heart of so many lives. In this first season, we'll cover all things sweet. So if you're curious to hear from the chef behind the flaky pastries trend that almost broke the internet a few years ago, or about the woman bringing rainbow sprinkle-filled nostalgia to dessert lovers across the country, you're in for a treat. We are beyond, beyond excited to be launching this podcast with founder of Flower Bakery, Joanne Chang. Joanne went from Harvard grad and consultant to renowned pastry chef, cookbook author, and sticky bun queen. As the recipient for the James Beard Award for Outstanding Baker, the Oscars of Food, she now operates nine flower bakeries in Boston and Cambridge, in addition to sister restaurant Myers and Chang. Today, we'll chat about her time at Harvard as the chocolate chip cookie girl, the challenges and struggles of opening up a new bakery, and what she'd do if she won the lottery. Let's dig in. Welcome to Gourmand, Joanne. We're so happy to have you. Thank you for having me. Um, so to kick things off, we'd love to hear about a bit about your childhood in Texas. What was it like growing up in a Taiwanese household? Uh, I had a really great childhood. I grew up um, in Texas and in Tulsa. Um, my parents are from Taiwan. I have a younger brother. Um, and our, uh, our life and my childhood revolved around food. We were always planning what we were going to eat for dinner when we were eating breakfast. At dinner, we were planning the next day's breakfast and lunch. And so food was a really big part of my life. Sounds familiar, definitely. Um, food is definitely also kind of a central, uh, plays a central role in my family life. And I just think that it's so communal. Some of my favorite moments were gathered around the dinner table, eating my mom's home cooking, um, which I really miss now that I'm in college. Um, what about dessert, Joanne? Um, what was not a big part of my life was desserts, because in Asian households, typically you don't have uh, a lot of desserts. You eat a lot of fruit, and we had a lot of fruit, um, but I had never really eaten a lot of uh, desserts until, uh, not really until, you know, the first time was probably when I was eight or nine, and I went to a friend's house, and her mom, um, you know, invited me to stay for dinner, and, you know, we had a regular, like, American dinner, and at the end of dinner, I was expecting that we would just like leave and go and play and you know she's my friend Linda sat at the table and I was like what's going on and her mom came out and brought like slices of chocolate cake and it kind of just changed my world I realized there's this whole world of sweets out there that I wanted to learn more about. Wow it must have been some really good chocolate cake. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if it was that good I just never had it before and I thought it was amazing. What drew you to baking initially, given that it wasn't so much a part of your home life? Do you think that that kind of added some allure to sweets and things? Well, I think I definitely have a sweet tooth. So I was, uh, I was drawn to eating a lot of sweets. Um, and then when I got into the restaurant business, I realized that I preferred the pace of baking. I preferred the chemistry and the exactness that goes into um, baking a recipe and 
versus being a line cook. Um, and I just really enjoyed all of the order and the control. Yeah, for me, that was one of the things that kind of drew me to baking. I love the science of it all. Um, there was a time in my life when I thought I wanted to be a food scientist. And I actually remember looking up on YouTube and finding a video, I think, of you lecturing at Harvard um, at their food science class and like watched the whole thing and was obsessed with it as a high schooler. Yeah, and I think that's what makes baking so interesting because there's the whole science behind it. Um, I remember senior year of high school, I led a chocolate chip cookie workshop and we kind of altered ingredients to see what would happen. Like, why were some cookies thick? Why were some cookies thin? And speaking of chocolate chip cookies, we read that at Harvard, you were known as the chocolate chip cookie girl. How did you get that nickname? Well, I, I had tried to find a way to both relax and also to connect to my fellow uh, students in my study groups. Uh, I was studying math at Harvard and there was a little dormitory kitchen um, that I used and I would bake chocolate chip cookies just to kind of share with my friends and with my study group partners. Um, and then by the time I was a junior in college, um, people started to know me for making chocolate chip cookies and bringing them to study groups. And uh, some of my peers were opening up, operating a student-run grill in our dorm, and they asked oh. me to make chocolate chip cookies for them to sell in the dorm. So I, um, every day, would go into the kitchen and make us a, a batch of chocolate chip cookies and sell it to them, and then they would sell it to our fellow students. And I did that my junior and senior year. Um, I didn't make that much money because I didn't sell them for very much, and, uh, but I did really enjoy it. And, you know, when I, every semester, I think I made just enough money to buy running shoes. I'd started running when I was in college. Um, and I kind of took that enjoyment of making cookies with me when I left college. I became a management consultant and I continued to bake cookies for my coworkers. Um, I even started like a tiny itty bitty business in my home called Joanne's Kitchen with a little menu where I would make cookies and cakes and um, desserts for people for their like birthday parties and stuff like that. So I did that when I was um, a management consultant. So I took that little bit of baking business with me post-college as well. So that was like the first mini flour bakery. Exactly. Um, so, and you just touched on this a little, but what inspired you and kind of what were your motivations for going down the management consulting path out of college? Um, and then what was the moment where you realized you wanted to take a year off and work in restaurants? Well, when I graduated, I needed a job and I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do post-graduation. So I um, interviewed with you know, consulting firms and uh, finance firms and just kind of everything and anything that was out there. Um, working as a management consultant seemed like a really great way to learn about a lot of different industries and it seemed and a lot of my friends were doing it. So, you know, I, I was fortunate to get a great job in Boston. Um, and I really liked it. Like, I thought it was a fun job. I learned a lot. I made great friends. Uh, I'm still friends with today. I got to travel. Um, and I got to learn about a bunch of different industries. But usually about two years in, people tend to either go on to business school or if you stay within the consulting industry, you start to move up. Um, and I didn't want to do either of those things. I, I wasn't interested in going to business school, and I didn't see myself staying at the consulting firm, continuing to kind of progress. And so 
you know, I, I loved being in the kitchen in my free time. You know, I was baking in Joanne's kitchen and I was hosting dinner parties and I had friends over all the time. And I just thought maybe I'll take a year and just see what it's like to work in a kitchen and, and then figure out what I want to be when I grow up. I didn't have this plan of, you know, going into the restaurant business and opening a bakery. I just wanted something to do for a year while I figured out what I wanted to do. Yeah, and I think that's super relatable to me and like a bunch of my peers um, of not knowing what they want to do and they go down a similar route. Um, So now that you finished your time at the management consulting firm, um, you had the chance to go work at one of the top restaurants in Boston as your first job. How did you get that opportunity? Uh, I ended up um, mailing a letter and a resume to four restaurateurs in Boston just um, introducing myself to them and saying that I didn't have any professional uh, restaurant experience, but I worked really hard and I was willing to take any position. And my letter um, landed on the desk of one of the top uh, chefs in Boston at the time, Lydia Shire, which she still is. And she had this amazing restaurant and she needed somebody to do some basic, you know, prep line work. And so I interviewed with her um, and she said she'd give me a shot. So I you know, was able to, you know, try my hand in being in a professional kitchen. Um, and it was a really, obviously a great experience. Yeah, I think it's pretty incredible how in the restaurant industry, they really care about your kind of eagerness to learn and dedication. Um, and I think it's so awesome how the first job that you were able to get at a restaurant happened to be at one of the top restaurants in Boston at the time. Um, I bet it was a pretty difficult transition from management consulting to a life at the restaurant. Um, what was kind of your mentality going into it? It was very much like, you know, go in there and, and immediately just start helping out wherever I can. So I really loved that energy and um, met some incredible people who kind of helped me along as I was trying to figure out that, navigate that first year. Yeah. From there, I guess, what exactly was the path that led you to flower? I had gotten this job in the restaurant, um, realized that I loved being in a restaurant, but I didn't want to do savory. So then I got a job at a bakery. And at that point, I just wanted to learn. And so I was learning um, with uh, a pastry chef, Rick Katz, who was, you know, incredible and really, really, really uh, detail oriented and intense and talented and very generous with all of his knowledge and his recipes. And so I spent a year working for him. Um, and then I got a job in a restaurant working as the as a pastry chef at a restaurant called Rialto, and that's where I met Jody Adams and Christopher Myers, who um, who was you know Jody was the chef, Christopher was the uh, general manager, and they they owned this restaurant together. Um, and so I worked for them for two years, just like honing my menu writing skills and my pastry skills. Um, I moved to New York and worked with Francois Payard. I came back to Boston and worked as a pastry chef um, for Jamie Romano um, and then opened Flower. And I kept in touch with Christopher the whole time. And so about three or four years after Flower opened, he and I started dating. Um, and oh, wow. he was the one who kind of said, you know, after a couple of years, he was like, this this bakery is really special. And I think you could, you know, do more with it. And I was like, I don't know. You know, I, <laughs> I, I really liked having like my little place that I could control everything. And he really pushed me to kind of take what was so special and see if there was a way to bring it to more people. And so um, we opened a second location in about six and a half, seven years after the first. 
Um, and then from there, it really did, uh, it took a lot of work, but it really was, once you open that second location, you kind of understand that you have to create processes to make it sustainable. So those processes and standards and systems allow you to then to continue to open more locations. And now there's almost nine flower bakeries. So being an executive pastry chef, how did you find the time to kind of think about recipes, um, look for properties, and all the other things that come with opening a new bakery? I mean, I've heard that um, it's extremely risky to open your own bakery. And what made you decide to make that jump? And what was that transition like? Spent all of my time outside of work planning uh, flour. So I, you know, did a lot of research and hunted around for real estate. Um, I started to gather, uh, I wrote a business plan, I started to write menus, I started to gather um, funding, and like it took me two years, definitely a lot of work. It was definitely very daunting, um, but it was uh, something that I really wanted to do. Like I just, I knew I wanted to do it, so I just spent two years as I was consulting, just continuing to pursue this 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 goal of mine. Yeah, I know as a fellow baker, I'd also love to hear a bit about your recipe development process and kind of where your inspirations come from, um, the kinds of things that you feel really drawn to making. Well, in the beginning, um, the recipe development process was kind of gathering all of the recipes that I had collected while working at uh, Rialto and, and at Viva and at Payard and at Mistral and um, and all the all of the reading that I was doing, I was constantly reading cookbooks. Um, I was constantly just experimenting at home. And then when I would get to work, I would have a list of recipes that I wanted to try out. And I would bake these different scones and muffins and brioche, and then tweak them. You know, I would try something and say, "Wow, okay, that's a, a recipe from whatever magazine or whatever cookbook, and I like it." But think it could be a little bit flaky or maybe not as sweet or whatever you know the thing was I would take that and then the next day I would come in with another set of recipes with the tweaks. And has that process changed over the years or is that pretty similar to what you do today? So I guess that's not too dissimilar from what we do today. Our rest our menu is fairly set. We have a, a pretty set menu that many of our guests are, are really excited about so we don't spend too much time tweaking a lot of things, but what we try to do to keep things fresh is we do um, seasonal menu changes and we spend a lot of time working on our holiday menus um, because there's the, the obvious holidays like Thanksgiving and Christmas, Valentine's Day and Easter, but then you can always find other holidays. And so we do stuff for um, Fourth of July and Father's Day and Mother's Day and Halloween and um, uh, Patriots. And uh, <laughs> there are so many holidays. Um, yeah, there's a lot of holidays, so you come yeah. up with a lot of different desserts. So you just in your mind, you try to anticipate what it is you're you're trying to make, and then you start off with a base recipe and you make it. And you try it, and you think, oh, okay, this needs a little bit more of this or that, or this isn't anything like what I want, and then you start over. It sounds like a very, very fun process. Do you have a favorite kind of special holiday menu item you've developed over the past few years? A mashup of something that I do every Thanksgiving just in my like my own meal, which is I try all of the pies that we make at Flour, and my favorite combination is pumpkin and pecan with a little bit of whipped cream. So we oh, made uh, a pie so that we good. call the Piecefecta, and it's a pecan pie. It's like half filled with pecan pie. We bake that, and then we 
pour pumpkin pie custard over that and bake that. And then we top it with brown sugar whipped cream. Oh, wow. So it kind of takes all of the elements of the different pies that I love and puts them in one pie. So you don't have to like worry about getting the right proportion of this or that. You just take one bite and each bite has every element. My plate usually has a slice of pumpkin and a slice of pecan and a slice of apple and whipped cream. It's like the best of all worlds. Yeah. I love that. I can imagine that opening your own bakery comes with its own unique set of challenges that, you know, people who haven't been through that experience can only imagine. Are there any hurdles in particular you just never anticipated? The most challenging thing is that when you are opening a bakery or running a business, you are trying to take what's in your head and present it to the public, but through the channels of your team. And so it's really important to know how to communicate clearly to your team and inspire them so that they can operate the way you want them to in order to give the guests the experience that you want. And I think that's um, that's the hardest thing, I think, for any entrepreneur to, to tackle, at least in the food business. It's so important to think about how you're going to train your team to not only execute your vision, but be reliable and be motivated and be inspired. I read that during the first eight months of Flower, you were actually thinking about closing the bakery. Can you tell us a little bit more about your experience during that first year and why it was so hard? Well, that first year was super interesting. And I, you know, after like eight or 10 months, I just thought, man, I'm working so hard and I'm not really, I'm not really getting the enjoyment that I thought I would from it. Um, and I talked to my mom, I talked to Christopher and I said, gosh, this is not what I expected it to be. And I really thought this was going to be this beautiful little bakery where everything was perfect. And guests were so happy all of the time. And there were so many days that were just really long and really hard and just didn't feel right. And after talking to my parents and after talking to Christopher, I, I realized that I wasn't doing those things that I just listed. Um, I needed to learn how to be a manager. I needed to learn how to delegate better. I needed to learn how to inspire them more. Um, and so I really just focused on that. I said, you know, the reason why flour isn't working out in the way that I want it to right now isn't because of the team. It's because of me. It's because I need to be a better leader and to delegate better and to trust more and to um, give my team the opportunity to do these things that were so important to our success. Um, and they did it and they did great and they got the benefit of um, being great hospitality people and being great bakers. The, the satisfaction that they got just continued to build and allowed them to then enjoy being at work more, which then allowed them to do a better job. So it all you know, became this really positive cycle. Absolutely. Team is so important. And I think one of the challenging parts of being a leader is learning to trust others and delegating. When you're hiring for flower, what do you kind of look for in a candidate? Is it attitude? Is it skill? Um, can you expand a little bit more on that? You have to hire people for attitude, um, mm -hmm. less about experience and more about attitude and making sure that the people that you hire are eager to learn and um, open-minded and geared towards hospitality. Um, and then once you hire the right people, it's just a matter of communicating constantly. So I think it's really important to remember that like nobody wants to go to work and have a bad day. Nobody wants to go to work and do a crappy yeah. job. Everybody wants to do a good job. So if somebody's not doing a good job, you've got to turn it on yourself and say, what have I done that is 
not allowing this team member to do a great job. And oftentimes it's that you haven't communicated well enough what you expect. Um, and so we spend a lot of time, you know, talking to our teams and our managers about what we expect and why, um, and making sure that they have the comfort level to come to us to explain if something that we want is wrong. I want them to tell me that's a really bad idea and we'll do it if you want, but it doesn't make any sense. So we have a really great open relationship with our managers and our team. Yeah. And I feel like we all have a new appreciation for communication right now when it's so much more difficult. Um, Yeah. And kind of, I guess, speaking of recent events in the pandemic, I know the world has definitely been turned on its head. um, But I think one silver lining has been just the sheer amount of innovation and creativity that I've seen um, from the baking community, from people at large. Are there any cool projects you've been working on lately? Um, Anything you're excited about that has kind of been sparked in the wake of the pandemic? Well, we're getting ready to open our ninth bakery. So I'm excited that we were able to continue that because we were about halfway through with construction and then the pandemic hit. We put it on pause for about three months. So we're we're back on track. Um, uh, we've been baking a lot virtually with people. We have classes that we offer through the bakery now. I mean, we've always had classes, but now they are through Zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm doing an Instagram series called Flower Love where people can bake along with me um, every week. And so it's been really fun just to see um, what other people are able to do at home. A lot of people are you know, not able to travel to. So we wanted to try to find a way to allow them to continue to experience flour and experience um, joy that great baking can bring you. And so my my thinking was, well, if I can't bake for you, then maybe I can help guide you. Yeah, I've definitely, I've loved seeing how many people who, I have friends who, you know, were never bakers, just, you know, from quarantine, becoming bakers. Um, and I also just want to say, I have to make those cornmeal lime cookies that I saw on your Instagram. They look so good have to do that together sometime um and i think to wrap things up joanne could you kind of tell our listeners what you would have wished you knew when you first entered the industry and what advice would you give for any student or someone looking to enter the food and bakery space when you're young you have this feeling that you need to like get to the next place right away and i would tell myself not to be in such a rush to take advantage of these years when you can just learn. I mean, as soon as you open your own bakery, you are going to be um, operating a bakery, which means you're not going to be learning anymore. You'll learn, but you won't be learning baking. And I feel mm-hmm. like, I feel like even for myself, I rushed into college. I, I took sophomore standing. I was eager to like graduate in three years. Um, I ended up, you know, dropping it after my first year because somebody said to me at one point, you know, what's the point of graduating a year early? The world's still going to be there. So why are you rushing to get to the world? I thought, I guess that makes <laughs> sense. But, but then I didn't really listen to that advice when I opened Flower. Like I opened it quickly because I wanted to, and I felt like I had something that I wanted to give to Boston. Um, and I might've slowed down a little bit and taken a couple more years to learn another, uh, learn, learn from somebody else or, you know, try my hand at another type of pastry and learn a little bit more about maybe chocolate work or bread or something. Um, so I would tell people who are interested in entering into the food space now that there's always opportunity in the food space. I mean, we're always, regardless of however many more pandemics hit us, everybody <laughs> has to eat and everybody wants to eat and you want to eat with 
joy and gusto. And so there's always going to be ways to, to bring people pleasure through food. Um, I don't know what that looks like in the future, but I would tell people that, you know, don't feel like you have to rush and do it right now. Like, like if you want to open your own place, that's awesome, but it doesn't have to happen right now. Like take the time to work for some great people and learn great techniques and, and just enjoy it. And with the pandemic, like the hospitality industry and kind of all our lives were kind of put on hold. So it was a really good time to kind of take a step back and really think about what to do next. So to wrap up, we have a short little speed round we wanted to go through. Just a few fun questions um, that we want you to answer just off the top of your head. The first thing that comes to mind. Um, so our first question is, what is one kitchen tool you can't live without? Uh, my chopsticks. What's your favorite midnight snack? Ice cream. What's the most underrated menu item at Flower, in your opinion? Gosh, so funny that you asked that because we don't have underrated menu items because if <laughs> we don't sell, we take them off. I mean, there really is like this this whole business aspect of what we do, which is if it's not going to sell, then I have it. Um, I would say I wish more people knew about our Flower Power Bars. They are a great energy snack on the go. It's gluten-free, vegan, pre-packaged little, like we package them up so you can just put them in your backpack. Um, they're crunchy, there's no sugar, it's made with maple syrup, there's nuts and dried fruit. And it's like like the best, the world's best granola bar. Yum. Um, and then the age-old question, chocolate or vanilla? Vanilla. And then our last question. Um, so we know that there was one question you would always lead off with as an icebreaker when you used to do recruiting interviews um, on campuses, uh, which was if you won the lottery, what would you do with your life? And so given that you've had such success with your amazing bakery empire um, and your career as a pastry chef and restaurateur, if you won the lottery now, what would you do with that money? I won the lottery now. Uh, that would certainly give Flower and Myers and Chang a lot more financial security than we currently have given the pandemic. I would probably take that money and use it to offer our teams more money because right now, now everybody's like scrapping by. You know, everybody's trying to like save up money because they're not sure what's going to happen in the future. So I would use it to give everybody a big fat raise. <laughs> what a great cause. Well, thank you so much, Joanne, for taking the time today to be on our show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks so much. So nice talking You're to welcome. you. You're welcome. Really nice talking <laughs> to you both. That's a wrap. Sure to check out her IGTV series, Flower Love, for your weekly baking fix. This episode is a part of Gourmand Season 1, Sweet Treats. If you like what you heard, please hit the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram at Gourmand Podcast. I'm Elena Cho. And I'm Maggie Tang. And this is Gourmand.